What is radical vulnerability? I don't know. Go read a Brene Brown book. But (laughs) Becca and I like to talk about feelings and philosophy and thoughts and history. And since a lot of people in real life don't seem to want to talk about those constantly, we decided to do a podcast. Yeah. So I'm so I'm Crystal. And I'm Becca. And this is Radical Vulnerability. Hello and welcome to the first episode. Woohoo! We did it. My initial plan was for us to do this on my birthday, which happens to be the day after Christmas. But then that sounded like a lot of work. So here we are. It is yep. January. It is someday in January. The 11th. There you go. 2020. This is happening. That's right. Um, so for our first episode, we figured we would just tell you guys a little bit about ourselves, but not so much that you'd be able to find us because realistically, Becca and I are, though we love vulnerability, notoriously terrified of criticism and conflict. So we're going to tell you about ourselves, but not our last names or where we live. And yeah, just know that we are courageous cowards who want to tell you lots of vulnerable things, but please don't argue with us. Exactly. Yes. Becca, you want to go first? Oh, sure. So yeah, like she said, we just thought we'd share about us. So you have a bit of a context of who is talking. Uh, So myself, I am married. I have two boys. One is three, the other is seven months old. And I like to play the piano quite a bit. As a profession, I teach piano lessons. I don't do near as many students as I used to. have about 10 currently. And I also like to go and play. So right now I'm working on getting lined up so I can go play the piano at St. Alphonsus, actually. Just had an interview yesterday, so pretty excited about that. Uh, um, I'm also playing at a funeral on Monday, and I shouldn't be excited about that, but I am. I don't mean to be, um, I don't know, what do you say? Don't mean to be... Crass? Yeah, or unrespectful, but also... I, oh, I did go to college for piano performance. Um, I enjoy crocheting, crocheting for charity. I enjoy cooking. I'm working my way through a cookbook. I'm making every single recipe in it. And if you know me at all, somehow I will include that in our conversation. Um, Probably my friends get tired of me talking about it. I do like reading books talking to my husband about theology and philosophy. Some things I'm passionate about would be refugees, social justice. I teach an after-school program once a week at an apartment complex here that has quite a few refugees. Just that's kind of my way of saying, hey, I want to do something about some of the things that I care about. So I'm I'm thankful for that opportunity and the time that I have to do that. Um, so I would say to sum up myself and my opinions, I pretty much always have mostly strong opinions, but often I'm too afraid to share them. So here, hopefully, you're going to hear them and 
you know, feel free to tell us that you disagree, but that would all make me cry. <laughs> feel free to pipe in here. Oh, like, yeah, fair enough. To. No, you're good. But, um, I think my favorite thing about vulnerability is you can, um, like when you're being honest about what you think and what you love, you can also just throw out like, oh, also here are the bad parts. Like I've got really strong opinions and I want you to be able to share them with me, but also maybe disagree with me in a really, really nice way or I'll feel exactly. sad. Exactly. In a really, really nice way. Yeah. I just desperately crave your approval and... <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess I'll do like a little bit about me. I'm Crystal. Um, I also have two kids. Uh, they are four and two. Uh, I'm married. And um, I guess what's on my mind for about me is I recently started attending Al-Anon, which is um, a support mm. groups for or support group for um, friends and family of alcoholics. And awesome. so um, I was raised in an environment that I consider alcoholic, though I think my parents would strongly disagree, but I took the quiz and I felt like I checked all the boxes. And so that's been kind of exciting to explore, I guess, just how that, how living in that environment has like affected me and how I live my life and how I treat my friends and family. And for me, it's almost in like a codependent sense where I have a tendency to control and fix and I want to be the um, as I was saying, codependent environment, uh, Becca and I got cut off there for a minute, but anyway, um, I found that I tend to try to control the lives of those around me and those in my family, uh, just out of need for security and thinking that I can handle it all. And so it's been really interesting to go to these groups and meet a bunch of people who seem to be struggling with the same things I do. Mm. Um, other things that come to mind for an introduction, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD, which was actually kind of exciting because once I got my anxiety under control, I was wondering why I still couldn't focus mm. and finding out that it wasn't for lack of trying, <laughs> but that it was actually something else was really nice. Um, what do I like to do in my spare time? Uh, top favorite thing would probably be talk to other people about their feelings and my feelings and their life story and my life story. Wow. And, right. And other stories I've heard along the way. Um, so if it was up to me, I would probably spend 99% of my time just like talking to people and listening to their stories and relating to them with my stories. Okay. So let's see here. Any other pertinent information? I don't know. I, I also like to listen to podcasts in my spare time, podcasts about personal finance or sermons or um, like humor a lot, history, mental health. I'm just constantly listening to things. Right now I'm listening to True Grit by Angela Duckworth and I just finished The Power by Naomi Alderman, which was, like, really good, by the way, if you're looking for book recommendations. Um, mm. I'm an Enneagram Six Wing Seven, if you like the Enneagram, and I'm an ENFJ, if you like the Myers-Briggs. And if you like anything else, good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. That's fabulous. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, Great. do we want to talk about our week or what? I know. Well, can I, I just want to ask you some questions. Would oh, yeah. Be? Okay. Yeah. So tell me more about this book about power. Oh my gosh. Okay, so it's called The Power, and it's about, it's kind of this like science fiction world where um, women suddenly one day develop this like power to kind of like shock and electrocute men or anyone, and so they develop like on their um, like chest, so it's called a skein, and it like just has this lightning electrical impulse, and it basically looks at what happens when... Um, the positions of power are completely reversed and how it can totally corrupt. And so it's like you basically have these main characters who have this 
um, who just are prominently featured while every girl in the world is, like, getting this power. Wow. Um, and then just, like, looking at the impacts of that on, like, the gender reversal, the role reversal, or the re- reversal of, like, power and how oftentimes those who, um, you know, are in the minority and in the margin when given the chance to be in power can sometimes totally abuse it and corrupt it. And so um, all oh, of this kind of... Yeah, so I've all not, of... Oh, sorry. I've not delved into that ever heard uh, oh, that. It's, well... Oh, it's my, I had a friend recommend it to me and I guess it was on like Obama's reading list for like 2018 or something like okay. that. And so it's cool. Cause basically everything is set like several years before the event, but you don't know what the event is. So it's like right before the cataclysmic event. Um, but I love, I love looking at that because I think it's always interesting to see how power corrupts, like, you know, the saying absolute power corrupts. Absolutely like so often I think if you're coming from that wounded place and then somebody gives you this power before you're able to get that healing you can Mm. become just as bad as your oppressors and I don't mean yeah and I don't mean to say if you're in an oppressed position and you get power then you will become an oppressor which is not what the book is about by the way in case anyone misunderstands me but I do think it's an interesting look at how those paradigm shifts and power shifts can like lead to people being just as terrible as those who oppress them because once you're in that position it's like easy to kind of want to get revenge or think you can do it better and so it's yeah it's really good and it's interesting and just the subtle nuances throughout where they you know where like a woman will objectify a man's body (laughs) because he's like you know he can't defend himself and it's like oh well I've seen him in his speedo and in his abs and he's a cute guy and it's just so funny. It's so interesting, yeah. honestly. But then it also brings up um, just some some of the horrific events that we don't like to think about that happen to other people, and it yeah. much about sci-fi about the genre. Like you were able to even break it down. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know that before, but just some of the stuff that Nate's my husband um, has said he likes sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So like. Um, Oh, like cowboys in space. That just sounds so stupid to me. I have no interest, you know? Uh huh. It just, I know it couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time just breaking through reality and getting immersed in the story when. It is so, like, that could not happen. I can't get past that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Well, and it's funny that you're saying that because uh, a few years ago, Blaze and I watched the, like, parody romantic comedy that came together with Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. Okay. And, like, one of the jokes is because this is, like, a basic, you know, rom-com. It's, like, the two characters meet, and what they bond over is the fact that they love fiction books. And it's like, oh my gosh, I love fiction books. You love fiction books too? And so then when she goes on a date with like, you know, like the foil or the other guy who seems really nice and has a generic dumb name like Eggbert, and then they're always messing up his name, calling him like Egg Flap and stuff. Their thing is like, she's like, whoa, well, I love fiction books. And he's like, what? Fiction books? I don't read fiction books. It didn't happen. If it didn't happen, why did they write it down? <laughs> so, like, that's yeah. the joke is it's like, the Great Gatsby, none of that happened. Why did why they did write they it, it down? down? And so Blaze and I that's joke so about funny. that all the time because I think 
I think most people are the opposite. It's like they want the fiction. It's like, tell me a story that didn't happen, but tell me a story. Um, yeah. And I think we all love stories, but I almost, and I could be wrong, I think my perception of nonfiction was always because it wasn't fiction, it wasn't a story. And mm. I think that's because as a kid, you're raised on like picture books, storybooks, and novels. So, like, the way we, like, inundate kids or like not inundate induct the way we induct our children into reading more often than not is by Mm -hmm. mostly not true stories and then maybe in black history month you read a book about rosa parks or mlk or something or maybe you've got like a you know like your little people series that you have of like all the historical figures i think for most kids what you get is a story about like a talking dragon and a five-year-old who makes friends with that dragon and then they like fly all over the world whatever which i love i love a good picture book Um, but I think when the way you start out reading is by reading stories that aren't true, um, I think if you don't get that exposure to nonfiction, I think you might start thinking that the only stories are the stories that aren't true or that didn't really happen. And maybe there's a moral, maybe there's like a point to the story. But, um, for me, I was always afraid of nonfiction because I was afraid it was boring because I didn't know that Mm -hmm. there was there were truthful things that happened out there that were interesting or horrifying or thought provoking. And so that's not to say I don't like fiction books. I have been on a big Haruki Murakami kick, which is Uh more like I would almost describe it as like magical realism than anything in the fictional realm, which is kind of like it's this literary device that was essentially created in Latin America where um, they allude to historical events and like cultural perceptions by doing a regular seemingly fiction story that just has like elements of the magical so it's like maybe somebody like cried tears and flooded the whole world and then in the next chapter like you know the flood subsides and it's fine and we just go on so it's like these just like magical elements that we don't question and they're just like a little bit in there and you kind of ignore it and move on anyway now I'm rambling I love literature um I majored in Spanish in college so I did not wind up doing English, so a lot of my literary preferences kind of lean towards Latin American, even though I can tell Mm. you right now, my Spanish is not there. Like, it's so much easier to read it in English. But but anyway, all that to say, that's been my kick is Haruki Murakami. Um, Nice. But, uh, yeah, now I got off on a tangent. All that to say, no, I think it's interesting that you prefer nonfiction. Um, Blaze is the same way. Blaze is my husband. That's right. His name is Blaze. Um, and no, he does not blaze before any of you ask on the internet. Um, but he really likes fiction, historical things, um, stuff about philosophy and the idea of thought in general. Yes. So like, um, Marcus Aurelius is kind of his current favorite. Like he just loves to read his thoughts and things, but then when he's actually listening to a full book, it's always like the history of the Roman empire or we both listened to an audible book on Genghis Khan, which was like, Oh my gosh, the politics here are crazy. Mm -hmm. Or so I think sometimes, you know, they always say truth is stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. And I think if you actually search for that truth, you can find all those interesting stories on which a lot of fiction stories are based. Yeah. I feel like one of the reasons I have a love for nonfiction, I grew up, well, I was homeschooled. Cats out of the bag there. but I forgive you. <laughs> I know. Um, I actually really did like being homeschooled. And I'm thankful for it in a lot of areas. And one is that I, when we did history, we read so many 
historical fiction books. Oh. And I found that to be the most exciting way to learn about history is, oh, yay, I get to read this book. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning about history. And I think that that stuck with me because mm-hmm. I liked it so much. So now I just look at nonfiction books as like, oh, yay, I get to have a fun way of learning about something. Yeah. And my personality, like, in every aspect of life, always has practical reasons. hmm And, like, I'm very frugal. How can I get the most bang out of my buck is, mm-hmm. like, the forefront of my decisions. hmm And so how can I spend time reading is, like, I'm enjoying something, but I gotta learn. Like, uh-huh. I gotta have a purpose for this. Yes. Um, watching TV, I gotta have a purpose. When I crochet, even though I love crocheting, it's gonna be for charity. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Or a Christmas present or a birthday present. Or... Yes. Yes. So, yeah, that kind of, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Well, in historical fiction's bomb. I remember when I was, for a while, I was majoring to be a teacher, and I took um, a children's lit class, and we had to do historical fiction. And I think it's a great intro. It's a great way to, like, draw you in with, like, a personal story that is a fictionalized account, but it's happening within the space of a real event that did happen. And so, like, you are learning about this event and what people experienced, but then you still have that safety of fiction. So I could see how... um, Mm -hmm getting to experience that might lead you to go, wow, this is so good. I might just read regular nonfiction and read about things. Yeah. And I think the hard part is going to a public school. Well, not to say you get it in a private school too, but I think the hard part about going out to school is a lot of the history you learn is read this textbook, do this report. And it's so boring, or at least for me, it was boring. And the only time I enjoyed history so when I got older and I had teachers who told it to me like they told a story. So like my ninth grade teacher, nice. um, Mrs. Taylor, taught us all of the Mrs. presidents Taylor. in chronological order. Oh, yeah. Here are Mrs. <laughs> Taylor. Um, so like I learned all the presidents in chronological order. And the way she talked to us about the presidents was you could tell she was passionate about it. And she would like do voices for the president. And she would describe them. Cool. So like I will never forget her going, and James Madison and she'd talk about James Madison because he was so short and you know just all these personality traits and you know like I will never forget about um, Aaron Burr and John Hamilton and how they got into a duel at Aaron Burr's suggestion and how he shot and killed Hamilton and how Jefferson actually hated Aaron Burr and John Hamilton and Hamilton hated Jefferson and Aaron Burr but like they both hated Aaron Burr slightly more and this was at a time when um, if you didn't win the presidency, you then had to be the vice president, which is, like, mm. the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire oh, life is, is, like, having, let's have the to loser be, feud. yeah, let's have the loser be just under you. Like, what if yeah. you just got to be right next to the person who got the job you wanted yeah. and you just got to work Probably immediately Probably despise now. Oh, it was awful. And John Hamilton was actually the one who, like, cast the remaining vote. Like, it was such a close race. And at that point in time, um, usually what would happen is, like, you would think that the person who was on more of the losing side would, like, gracefully resign, and Aaron Burr didn't. And so then, for some reason, it came down to him and John Hamilton, uh, or, like, the choice came down to Hamilton. And he hated Jefferson, really disagreed with him on a lot of things, but he hated Aaron Burr slightly more, so then he, like... Voted for Jefferson, but because Burr didn't jump out, he became the vice president and was essentially just, like, shut out of 
everything, and Jefferson just totally ignored it. It was awful. Wow. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a bad idea. But anyway, um, all that to say, those stories are, like, what stick with me the most. And so yeah. I can't help but think, like, maybe if I'd gotten to read historical fiction or if we'd done it in a way that it was, like, more captivating, I would have been more interested. Yeah. But I also think it's hard for poor elementary school teachers. I mean, you basically oh, have man. to teach a million different subjects and all of it has to be entertaining and all of it has to be good and everybody has to understand it yes and every kid has to be at a good reading level and so obviously I don't think it's you know I don't want to blame anybody and this is another thing you'll notice about Becca and I we had qualifiers to everything we just (laughs) um we don't want anybody to think that we're looking down on anybody else or disagreeing with anybody else and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings ever so it's always you're going to hear a lot of qualifiers um, mm-hmm. because that's how we talk in regular life. It's like, here's that's my true. opinion, but I don't want anybody yeah. else to think that their opinion's less valid and that we don't love them and you look great. Have you lost weight? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you look amazing. You're so smart. Why don't you talk? Like, just that's just how we yep. tend to go. And maybe as we do this podcast, we will, I don't know, do, do that, that less. less. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, I will say, though, Man, can I get lost in Grey's Anatomy. Oh, huge fan, unfortunately. (laughs) I think if you don't start watching it, then you just never start watching it. Is that you? Yeah, I just didn't start watching it, and then I continued to not start watching it. But I feel like there are plenty of shows like that out there where you're like, I'll check this out, and then you're like, I can't stop. Mm -hmm. I don't care how dumb it is. I'm in. I did read something once, though, that said that if you can, like, if you watch TV shows, real dramas that have real hard stuff, and you, like, pursue that as enjoyment, you'll be a better person to purse through your own drama. Oh. I don't know how true that is, but, oh, I loved it because... Again, Miss Practical, I was like, oh, see, so watching Grey's Anatomy has a lot of good to it. <laughs> My gosh, I love it. I um, I was actually thinking about what you described and how you're interested in, and one thing that's been on my mind a lot is how our American culture is so about practicality, mm-hmm. and you always need to be getting something out of whatever you're doing, and so yeah. I've been pondering a lot the fact that like I, I feel like I'm incapable of doing something enjoyable for enjoyment's sake. Yeah. Like, I can talk to friends because I enjoy that. Like, that seems to be the one thing I can do, but, like, I feel like so much of our lives, it's about, like, are you producing results? Yeah. Are you getting the profits? Are you, what does this mean? How is this practical? Like, we are so obsessed with working that everything we do is a means to an end. We never do something for the beauty of it. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm drawn to um, the FIRE community, the Financial Independent Retire Early community. Okay. Kind of started in 2012 on, I believe, some message boards and then turned into... Um, oh, no. Did it die? Oh, no. It's still okay. good. We're good. Um, but it started out with, like, you know, just, I think, some blog posts and some ideas, and then it's kind of turned into this entire movement. But at the base of it, like, yes, the goal is to be... Essentially, the goal is to save up enough money and have enough of it in investments that um, the amount that you withdraw every year is just enough that it doesn't ever deplete what you have in savings. So it's like a lot of people do the 4% rule. So like take how much it takes you to live off of and then multiply that times four. And then that's the number you want in like a couple of low cost index accounts. Um, And then 
you're going to take out that, that 4% every year or that 1%, you know? So it's like, if it takes, if you live off 50,000, multiply that by four, that's your fine number. And then you only withdraw that much. And basically with the gains that you typically get on an index, which is like eight to 12% over a set number of years, the money never runs out. And then you're not, you know, in what they call it golden handcuffs, you know, where it's like, Oh, I have this high paying job but I have to go to this high paying job. Mm. Otherwise I can't afford to live. Right. So it's like that mixture of like some people it's frugal to fire and they're all about being frugal. Other people are all about like side hustles and monetizing. A lot of the community likes to combine both of them. And after that brief background in fire, I think what interests me the most is the reason these people are trying to become independent or financially independent is because they want to get to a place in their life where they are doing things for their own sake, like working because you enjoy the work. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of people, so like Mr. Money Mustache is a big one. And that guy works all the time, but like independently, like, you know, he's chopping down trees and he's riding his bike everywhere and he could afford, like, he could afford a really nice car. He's totally loaded, but Mm -hmm. he wants his work to be meaningful in and of itself. And so like, instead of going to work so that you can pay the mortgage on your house, that you can pay for the dinner, pay for the car, whatever, you would work hard enough that by the time you have money, you live your life in a way that you, like, already enjoy what you're doing. So, like, what do wow. retired people do? They find hobbies. They find things they're passionate about. And they just kind of, like, the goal is how do you enjoy your life and find things you enjoy for enjoyment's sake. Cool. And it's got me thinking more because for so long I thought what I enjoyed was, like, being successful or, like, checking a box or getting something done that leads mm-hmm. to something else. But if the goal is something beautiful in and of itself, mm-hmm. like kind of like you playing piano, I think yeah. if you just play it because you love it, like yeah. that is something that is good in and of itself. You're not playing piano to get to blank. Right. And I feel like our culture is so like, but what's the next thing? But what's the next thing? But what's the next thing? Yeah. And yeah, so it's yeah. cool when you can say, I enjoy piano or I enjoy nonfiction because maybe I get something out of this. Maybe I learn something more historical, but maybe I'm just in it for the story. Yeah. Man, so a couple things as you talk that I'm thinking through. I actually, while I was getting my hair ready this morning and I was thinking about what am I going to say today, I had this thought, it's a good thing. I'm so lucky. I guess I'm glad that I have the piano Mm -hmm. that has been my thing because honestly, that is something that I've struggled with. We, It's such a fleeting art Mm -hmm. it is so there and gone it doesn't even last it actually goes really against my personality Mm -hmm. and I have struggled with it like what am I even doing how am I even um, contributing to society this Mm -hmm. is this seems so frivolous to put so much time and effort into this art Mm-hmm. What am I doing? And so I've found like, well, I'm teaching kids and they're getting smarter mm-hmm. and I can be a mentor to them. And hopefully someday if they ever need someone, they know I'm there for them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in other ways, but what you're saying, it's okay to just enjoy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, my, what, you know, you said your favorite place is to be talking with people. Mm-hmm. Mine is sitting at the piano playing playing piano music. It's not going anywhere. 
by myself, honestly, I'm happy Mm -hmm. that, and I, I am just getting fulfillment. So what you're saying is cool. Like, it's good to find things like that. It is. And I, man, it's, I'm glad I can say it. I wish I could do it. Cause for me, um, I played the trumpet up until I want to say about a year and a half, two years into college. Um, and I have always struggled with all or nothing thinking. And so it's either you do this or you do this. And the way I'd always looked at me trumpet too. was, even though I'm passionate about it, am I going to major in music? Am I going to be a famous performance artist? Am yeah. I going to succeed with the trumpet? And I enjoyed it, but I was so afraid of failure, whatever that meant, that I couldn't, there always had to be a goal in mind. So like I was always insecure that I never learned to play by ear and I would start to try and I would not immediately sound amazing. And I'd just be like, never mind. I just, it can't be done. I can't do it. If someone puts music in front of me, I'll be okay. And I think all that stress finally led to like me just going, realizing, okay, I'm not going to major in music anymore. I'm not going to be a famous performer. So I quit the trumpet and it just felt like I, in my head, it was like either you do the trumpet or you figure out the other thing you like. And in my head, I decided like as much as I loved hanging out with band people, I enjoyed getting to know other people and I enjoyed talking with people and being with people more. And so on the one hand, it was, Mm -hmm. it was true. Like I didn't want to be a performance artist that I would hear about how much they had to practice and how hard they'd have to work. And honestly, I kind of just skated by on talent until eventually I was like, oh, now I'm just okay and I'm not necessarily getting better. Do I want to put that work in? And I didn't. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't want to push through, have that grit and persevere and become, like, the best trumpet player ever because I was more interested in, like, talking to my friends and hearing their thoughts and hearing about what they think. But that doesn't mean music isn't, like, a huge part of my life. Like, I loved playing it. I loved performing it. And so even now I'm like... How do I get back into the trumpet when so much of it was like, for me, like a sense of self-worth and my identity and who I was. And for so many years, it was like, I'm Crystal, I play the trumpet. I'm Crystal, I'm in trumpet. Mm-hmm. I'm Crystal, I was the section leader senior year. Whatever, no big deal. I mm-hmm. marched in the Rose Parade in the ninth grade. I got to go to New York in the 10th grade. MBD, all That's about awesome. music. It, it is. That's it's awesome. all awesome and it's been a huge blessing, but it's like, how do you... How do I find a way to like have music be something I enjoy and I'm passionate about? Yeah. And how do I make time for that without it being a means to an end? Yeah. Like without the goal of I will be famous, I will be successful. Uh-huh. So Yeah. But um I feel like I struggle with that with Spanish too, because I majored in it and that was more because I was burnt out on college and I just wanted a degree and um, I'd been there for so long I just felt like I just gotta graduate with something. And Spanish was like something that I just enjoyed. And just could never set down completely. Like I'd set it down for a few years and I'd just like pick it back up and I'd take more classes. And that culminated in me spending like a semester in Peru, my final semester of school. I made it so that I was one class short and it was just an elective. And so I was able to go to Peru for a semester and really work on it. But even looking at that as, no, my job, no, I'm not going to go out and get a job speaking in Spanish. You know, which is what everybody was like, why don't you go do that? I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, um, part of it was fear. What if I can't translate? What if I'm not as good as I think I am? What if people can't understand me? Like that fear of failure. But, um, you know, even that, it's like, well, you know, when I look back on my degree, why did I get it? Well, I got it because I, I wanted to get a degree 
and because I love caving to peer pressure, and so everybody was like, if you take a break, you won't go back. you got to make sure. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I showed them. I took a semester break, and then I immediately went back because I was so freaking bored mm-hmm. just working. I could mm-hmm. not hang. But, um, yeah, looking back on it now, it is not a useful degree in my day-to-day life. But when I look on what back on what I learned, like, because, you know, with, when you major in Spanish and you don't major to teach, you wind up just going from grammar to literature to literary analysis. Hmm. And I was actually almost an English major. Like my mm-hmm. uh, freshman year of college, at uh, I went to Humboldt State for two years. And at HSU, they had this thing where like in English 101, everybody would write these various essays, which would culminate in three of your essays being double blind graded by a bunch of English professors. And if you got a 12, um, which would mean one professor gave you a six and then the other one gave you a six. Then you got this like cool plaque that says you got a 12 and they invited you to tutor. Got an 11 and it was because my second essay, I knew it wasn't up to par. I knew it. Like I knew that I needed to work more on it, but I just worked on the other ones more and had my friends edit the other ones, but I got an 11. And so I was still invited to tutor the next semester. Awesome. Unfortunately it was the semester I took off. (laughs) So, so when I came back and wanted to tutor, I didn't really have the, um, I guess I just, I didn't really have like the availability they needed. So I didn't wind up doing it, but like English, um, really was like a viable option for me. I love literature and dissecting it and like, what does it mean? What's the symbolism? Um, and so I think going into Spanish and learning more about like my, my study was more like the Latin America, South America, Central America. Um, they would switch off every year at BSU. So like one year it would be like all in Spain, you do, a Spanish survey, you'd read Spanish literature and all that, and I kind of had more the Latin America year, and so it's like Cortazar, um, Borges, uh, I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he is difficult to read in English, so like reading him in Spanish, I would just have to spark note it, but it's so full of life, and like Mm. so tied to like the history of, like he's, he's Colombian, so like a lot of his stuff is like tied to the history of Colombia, and like um, in Cien Años de Soledad, A Hundred Years of Solitude, it's this town of Macondo, but it's like the story of Colombia and like the cool. formation of Colombia in all of these stories that are just kind of have these like magical elements pulled in. And it's just, oh, I love it. It's so like thick and meaty. I, like mm-hmm. the best way I can describe it is like, go eat a steak right now. Go eat a mm. steak, get some carrots and potatoes and a glass of wine and just go mm. eat all of it. And you're yeah. like, I can't, I'm, I need a knife. I need a fork. I need some oh, time. Interesting. <laughs> like it's so much. I'm going to chew this thing forever. So, yeah. yeah. So cool. yeah. It, but anyway, all that to say for the longest time, I was really ashamed of my degree because I didn't go out in Spanish. And I always make this joke of like, Oh yeah, I'm just Spanishing all the time. I spent $40,000 of the government's money so that I could learn a language I could have learned in a year. But it it was a time of like truly enjoying like yeah. that analysis and figuring out like what I do enjoy. And I think it might yeah. be one of the only times in my life that I was kind of doing something just because I liked it in and of itself instead of doing yeah. it to get to blank. Yeah. That's great. That yeah. is really great. And it kind of makes me think about so much. I think of our parents' generation is it doesn't matter that you don't love your job. Mm-hmm. Just go get a job so you can pay the bills and then you can come home and do your hobbies mm-hmm. on the weekend. And then the diss on, I'm doing air quotes, millennials, because mm-hmm. I, I hate 
everyone grouping all of these people into like one little funnel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, these anyway. people, us people, yeah, we're millennials. Us. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> In saying like millennials have to do make their hobbies into their jobs. I don't know. I I just think it's not a a fair critique. Mm-hmm. I think that it's okay to do that once in a while. Again, mm-hmm. I am a millennial, but it's also okay to just to get a job that doesn't mean it's your hobby. Um, I think it's okay both ways, basically. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, and that millennials shouldn't critique the baby boomer boomers and vice versa. I do love those okay boomer memes. <laughs> okay boomer. Okay, oh boomer. my gosh, I. I love meme culture so much, and I remember being in college when memes came out, and I was like, "How do you pronounce? How do you pronounce that? Mimi, Min, Min." And then, and it was at first, it was just like a penguin with some, you know, weird, you know, like different colored lights on the outside and stuff yeah. like that. And then it just has totally evolved. And man, that's awesome. That's like ninety percent of my conversations Aww. with Blazer us just like sending memes to each other. I love it. And then making jokes that are quotes from TV shows we watched years ago that we oh. don't even watch together now, and yeah. it's just like joke, 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 joke. You would love the game we played this Christmas. Was it called What Do You Mean? Yeah, I really want to play that one. Yeah, you would. Oh man, it had Crystal written all over it. it sounds delightful. It gets a little raunchy. Oh but yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. So what I'm hearing is we should play. We should play a game on the podcast so people can hear in real time what it's like yeah. now imagine if you could see it with your eyes then it might be more enjoyable but if you can hear it, hear it. it's it's less enjoyable yeah. like me drinking wine and telling you how it tastes and being like yes this is uh fruity i don't know about wine tasting things i like wine but i don't like it in a way where i understand what yeah. people are talking about is that one hour? No, I think it's ten minutes. No, it's just bar 1,053. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> we are new to all this recording equipment. No, we aren't. We're pros. We're good at everything we oh, start. that's right. That that's being right. said, I wonder how you figure out the time. Do we want to pause? Sure. We're going to pause for an ad break. So, uh, Not sure get... how to pause, but we do know how to stop. Yeah, so get ready for those ad breaks. Get ready. And we're back from that ad break. As you may have noticed, we just played you some music, and we didn't do any ads because we are not sponsored. Because, gosh, who wants more commercials in their life? <laughs> Literally no one. No one does. Nope. Um, but we were talking while you guys weren't here, and we were thinking, maybe end the podcast for now? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. So I want to say we'll be back next week, but who knows when we're going to be back. We don't understand GarageBand. Or podcast editing, <laughs> um, or posting things. So I guess uh, you'll hear us when you hear us. And also, we're not even telling our friends about this podcast because you know what if we say something and they don't like it. So if you're out there, people who are listening, thanks yeah. for listening to two strangers um, banter about whatever's on their mind. Yeah. And we will be back soon with more bantery things and maybe um, message us if you want. To hear us talk about something. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, maybe um, maybe some of our things will even be themed. Uh, there will always be vulnerability in the mix because we like talking about yeah. what we actually think. The Royal Tenenbaums 8 at gmail.com. Oh. Send us an email. Yeah, and that's Tenenbaums like the movie. 
if you don't know it, Google it, then the number eight. Numeric number eight. The numeric number eight, not to be confused with the German Christmas Carol, O Tenenbaum. So. Correct. Yeah. Shoot us an email, tell us what you think, or I guess uh, leave a comment, only if it's nice. You don't have to rate us and review us, because uh, we don't know what we're doing, and we don't necessarily want to hear anything bad, so... Maybe only rate and review us if it's positive, because we're millennials, and we didn't come here for that criticism. Only a four or a five star. There you go. If you don't like it, you know, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Like, just, there's so many other podcasts you can listen to. You don't have to listen to us if you don't like it. Search Vulnerability, listen to a Brene Brown book, and, I mean, you know, go there for the put-together stuff. For the real stuff. Yeah, like the good stuff. The research stuff. stuff. But if you want to hear two women bantering... (laughs) You're in luck. Yes. Because you've came to the right place. Yeah, so I guess we'll uh, talk to you guys next time.